Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. We only have a short amount of time. I'm not known for going over, so I'm not worried. <laughs> but um, just in case. Uh, man, I'm, that's, that, were you encouraged by that? I feel like we could leave. I don't need to do anything. That, Joseph and Leigh, that was seriously, thank you for praying over us. And Leigh, I don't know the words that you spoke, but it was anointed, and I just appreciate you both. And I uh, love that we get to be a part of a house that goes beyond the house. Um, and we're part of God's kingdom. Matthew chapter 2 in verse 1 is where we're going to start. And uh, this is one of the accounts of the Christmas story that you've probably read or heard around the Christmas time many times. If you don't have your Bibles, it's on the screen. But it says this in verse 1. If you're there, just poke your neighbor in the, in the shoulder. Just give him a little... Just hard enough to be uncomfortable. Just make sure they're, they're looking good, feeling good. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, the Magi or the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, where's this one who's been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose. We've come to worship him. When he, King Herod heard this, he's disturbed. And so was all of Jerusalem with him. When he'd called together all the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler that will shepherd my people. Now, just because of time, I want to skip ahead when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts. I want to speak on this idea for the next few minutes, the threat of light. The threat of light. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. But would you bow your heads and would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we thank you for your, your presence that is in the room, even right now. Um, God, that through worship and the gathering here and the, the hearing of the testimony of what you're doing around the world, we thank you that you are not just moving in the nations and in a broad sense, but you're moving in each and every one of our hearts. God, that you have a plan for our lives. We thank you for that. And I pray, God, that there'd be somebody in here this morning who doesn't know why they're here yet. They're frustrated with life. They're discouraged. They feel hopeless. And we thank you that you brought them here today because you have a word for them, that they might leave knowing that you are in love with them. You've got a plan for their life in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Um, you ever been scared in the dark? I don't mean scared of the dark, but scared in the dark. Uh, like if you, everyone's got a core memory of when they were in one of those long to be stretchy things that you play in and then somebody lifts them up and you think you're about to die. Has anyone ever experienced that? Because it's dark. I have a core memory. I think I was about three or four and someone lifted it up and I'm like, I can't see, I'm gonna die. Claustrophobia sets in and your whole life for the last several years of existence flashes before your eyes. I remember um, my brother and I, my middle brother Shelby, he and I were, uh, we were camping with my grandparents in Gold Bar. And I must have been about nine or nine, maybe eight years old. My brother was two years younger than me. Well, still is two years younger than me. And we're staying 
in Gold Bar, my grandparents were in their, in their motorhome, and we opted to stay in the tent outside of the motorhome. So we're in the tent, and it's the middle of the night. When we wake up, and Shelby wakes me up. She said, Taylor, there's something in our tent. And we, we, we hear, we hear, we hear like breathing, and he's like, I think it's a wolf. <laughs> and... And I, I considered like letting you just believe that maybe it was. And as a 10-year-old or a nine-year-old, I survived a wolf. But we're in there and we, we hear the breathing and then we start to feel steps on our back. And granted, we're young kids, okay? And so we pull our sleeping bags over our heads. We're sleeping right next to each other. He's like, we gotta find the, the flashlight. Gotta find the, the flashlight. And so, but we're like, we don't know if we're going to reach out and our hand's going to get bit off, right? So we're freaking out. Like, we're, we're about to see heaven, you know? Like, we're going to die. We're going. We're out. We're out. God, it's been good uh, so far. We didn't make it, you know, we didn't make it as long as we thought we would, but it's been real. And so he finally finds the flashlight. This thing's walking on our backs. And I would say, like, my, my brother and I were laughing at it, about it recently because we remembered it for so long as it was a several hour long thing, but I'm thinking it was probably about four or five minutes, but I remember it being so long. He finds the flashlight, we turn on the flashlight, and in the corner is this small cat, just a little kitten, this little kitten, and it just stares at us and turns and walks out. And that was it. That's my story. And it's frustrating because we thought, yeah, it was a wolf. I mean, you know, it it was a bobcat. It was a lion. It was a bear. It was a little cat about this big. And it's funny because in our darkness in that moment, the fear was running rampant and it was Um, It was claustrophobic, the fear that we felt. It was dark, we could not see. So our minds were creating these inevitable scenarios that we were playing out. Has anyone ever done that? Where because you can't see, your imagination starts to create the picture. But once we turned on the light, we saw the dark for what it was, a stupid little cat that I'm allergic to. And my eyes swelled up. And I had to go get a hot rag and put it on my eyes to make the swelling go down. The darkness, you need to know this today, the darkness is real, but its message is a lie. See, the light is also real and its message is truth. But the darkness has a gospel too, but it is not good news. But it is not even real news. It is a lie. Because what it would have you to believe is that you're done. You've done too many things. You've failed too much. You won't make it. Your failures are too great. You probably shouldn't even bother having kids because why bring them into this world? But if you already have kids, you need to make sure you shelter them from every possible harm because the world is not getting any better. And what happens, we start thinking, I don't know if I can make it. Is God even real? And if he's real, is he even good? And in these moments, the gospel of the darkness 
starts to make us think that the darkness is our perpetual and inevitable future. And I'm here to proclaim that the message of the gospel, the message of Christmas is to say the opposite. The darkness is real, but its message is a lie. There is a light. There's a light. There's a light. In the world of the darkness, we need to understand that the darkness will continue to try and beat the light with its vastness. Because if you've ever looked up at a star, I left, we left some friend's house last night. We had a small group, kind of the end of the year thing. And we looked up at the, the stars and you could see the stars, but they look so small up there, but they are, they are massive and vast. But if I don't look up, it's almost as if the darkness becomes the overwhelming thing that dictates the culture that I'm in. But when I look up, I see the star and it provides light. I want to give some observations, just a few observations from this passage that I think are key for this Christmas season. This idea of Advent is this anticipation, this anticipation of the coming of the Messiah. I want to give these observations. The first one is this. In a world full of darkness, the light is a threat. In the world full of darkness, or perhaps your world, when it is dark, the thing that threatens that darkness is light. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. They asked, where is this one who has been born king of the Jews, born king. This is a whole subversive statement. Like this was a self-unaware moment. Like they should have known Herod. But they're like, hey, where's the guy that's born king of the Jews? Whoa, 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 what king? Because I'm the king. We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. When he heard this, here's what it says. He was disturbed. And that word disturbed means It means to be shaken to the core with an inner turmoil and instability. That's wild. So Herod, in his darkness, the light shook him to the core. The light did. Like, here's the thing about the upside-downness with the kingdom, is that light destabilizes darkness. We think of destabilizing, I want to reframe destabilizing this morning in a good way. Because here's how the kingdom works. You look at sin and you look at confession. Confession destabilizes sin, right? Are you tracking with me? Because light destabilizes darkness. Repentance destabilizes unforgiveness, right? Humility destabilizes resentment. Patience destabilizes anxiety and fear. Sacrificial love destabilizes hate. Hospitality destabilizes loneliness. A spirit of joy destabilizes a spirit of despair because light destabilizes darkness. My question for us this morning is what darkness in your world or in the world around you needs some destabilization? Because you and I have the power to destabilize with our light. What can you do to destabilize it? I remember a time where I was in a low moment. I was having a low day in a low season. And sometimes you can have good days in a low season. Sometimes you can have bad days in a, low, in a high season. But I was having a low day in, in, in a, a much broader, just kind of bummer season. And I remember, I'm a big fan of voice memos. Um, because you don't have to call. You can just, you can leave your voice 
And I, I get this voice memo from a friend. He lives out of state. And I was thinking that the voice memo would just be some random thing. Hey, how's it going? And, and he leaves me this voice memo and he says, hey, I was thinking about you this morning. I was praying for you. And I felt like I just needed to send you a word of encouragement. He speaks a word over me just in this voice memo. And he says, I, I, I want you to know that God's with you and he sees everything that you're dealing with. And he says, he's got you, but I want you to know that I've got you too. He says this voice memo, it's about a minute and a half. And that moment, that minute and a half voice memo on my iPhone destabilized the darkness that was defining my day. This is the power of the light. The brightness is that it can destabilize the darkness. What if that not only happened, like sometimes I think, and I do this myself, is I wait around for someone to destabilize my darkness. Here's the power that you have in you because of Jesus, is that you can destabilize your own, and it is a wonderful bonus when others do it for you. But what you can do is take it upon yourself to say, where is the darkness in my world, in my family, in my church, in my friendships, in my marriage, in my whatever it might be, or in my workplace, and where can I bring some destabilization to that darkness? That darkness is dictating way too much of the culture, so I'm gonna bring the bright light of God that I have with me with a word of encouragement, a text message, a gift, whatever it might be, an embrace. I don't know what it is, but you do, that you see the darkness in your world and you have it within you to destabilize that darkness with your light. Number two, second observation, you cannot be led by darkness, but you can be led in darkness. There's a distinction there. That's why I italicized the words. I thought it was clever. You cannot be led by the darkness. You ever been tried, like, you ever been in pitch black? Anyone ever done this? I do not recommend it. You're on a country road, but it's a straight road. Middle of the night, and you're like, I wonder what it would be like to turn off my lights and see how long I can go. And you might say, well, there's a road. I can follow the road, right? Say, well, God's word is the lamp unto my feet and a light for my path. I don't need headlights. You make it about two seconds, you're like, I don't want to die. I'm not ready. Can't be led by darkness, but you can be led in it. Because the thing about darkness is it has the tendency to have a submersive effect, an immersive, uh, a, an overwhelming effect. And what it does is it overwhelms us with a deep sense that this is the inevitable conclusion. Like this will never change. I, I, I remember um, this has happened you know, multiple times having kids. We have three young kids, eight, five, and three. And uh, one particular night, there was a, I believe it was a transformer that had blown. So our power went out in our whole neighborhood like that. It's probably 10, 30 at night. Noel and I are downstairs and the power just kicks off. No noise, just it was off. And our kids were all asleep. But what happened is as the lights turned off and the vastness of the dark was just sudden, they all woke up. They all woke up immediately to the, there was no noise, but it was actually the vastness of the darkness that woke them up. And so Jude and Lennon, our two younger ones, start to cry. And it's one of those cries that is not just like, I'm scared, but it was like a, I don't know what's going and I have nothing to grab. 
You can hear it. So we run upstairs and what do we do? We pulled out our cell phones, put our flashlights on. We run into the room, Jude, 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 buddy, dad's here, dad's here. It's okay, it's okay. Calm down, it's okay. So he calms down. I said, the power got turned off. Power got turned off, it's okay. You can come into our room. So we lead them by the flashlight. The flashlight, though the house was dark, gave context to where they needed to go. Cannot be led by darkness because in darkness is wandering and there's fear. In the darkness, you can wander. But when there is light, there is context for the darkness. And I think it's fascinating that the wise men, they followed a star. You've got Herod who is evil. He was hungry for power. He referred to himself as the king of the Jews. So Jesus' entrance as a baby and his ministry Everything that Jesus did was a slap in the face of the powers of the day. Not because he wanted to slap them in the face, but because he was daring and audacious enough to say, I'm the one you've been waiting for. Fear is his culture and the times were dark. And to the average person in the nation, in the city, to the average Person, it was a paralyzing fear that they just stayed under. And I don't know if you've ever been in a a state where something is, maybe it's a workplace thing or whatever it might be, there's something that is dark. We'll call it dark, but maybe it's just negative, it's not ideal. And how many of you know it's sometimes much easier to just accept it because it's status quo and at least you can brace for it? So you assume that this is going to stay this way. So what do you do? You stay under it. It could be work, the way that you treat it, or it's, I don't know what it might be. And I'm not trying to say that if you have a negative situation at work, that you need to shine you know, a flashlight in your boss's face and say, treat, you know, I, don't, I don't know what your situation is. But to the afraid, it was paralyzing. But to the seeking, this is the fascinating thing about the wise men is that the light was the reminder that they had found what they were looking for. Here's the thing that you need to understand about light, is that you're going to find what you look for. If you look for dark, oh fam, you're gonna find it. Why don't you just pull out your phone? Let's take it, let's do, why don't you pull open Twitter just for a moment, I'm gonna do that. Let's open Twitter and uh, yeah, I'm already discouraged. Top thing is something negative. This is, unbe- yeah, the w- first word, unbelievable, period. And then, not, I'm not joking. This is what happens, is that we find what we're looking for. How many people are looking for joy and opportunity and life? No, 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 no. They're, they're looking for dark, and then they're wondering why they never see the joy and the life and the opportunity, because they're finding what they look for you'll find what you look for. If you need a reason to fear, you got it. You need a reason to fear, just look out there. If you need a reason to fear, close your eyes and imagine the thing that's not working in your family and you can have a reason to fear. If you need a reason for anxiety, you'll find it. If you need a reason to quit, I can give you 50. But 
If you're looking for a reason to hope, a reason to step up, a reason to build something new, and rather than be cynical, believe that the best is yet to come because God is still on the throne, you will find it, and you will find it, and you will find it again because you'll find what you looked for. And the people of this day, the wise men, the culture of the day was darkness, but they're saying, we're looking for transcendence. They were not necessarily Jews. It might've been Jews. It might've been astrologers, scientists, all these people. But the thing they had in common is they were looking for something that was transcendent and they found it and they went to Herod and they said, we are looking for this king that's been born. We wanna worship him because they recognized the transcendent. Is the light, albeit at times distant, because here's the truth, is sometimes the light is faint and all you can do just see it still. Lots of darkness, but there is a light. Is the light guiding you or are the fears of today's darkness leading you? Because this is my third observation. Darkness or fear is a tyrant and it wants you captive. It wants you captive. It banks on you being captive. And King Herod says when he heard, that when they came and they said they wanted to worship, when he heard this, he, he was disturbed. But get this, and all Jerusalem with him. I want to warn us and encourage us at the same time to be careful that you don't pick up secondhand fear. Because sometimes, and it can be from the news, but I mean, I, I was literally like, I overheard a conversation about something happening. And, and I went home that day and I'm sitting at dinner with my kids and my, it, with, with my family. We're, at, we're having dinner, eating chicken nuggets and rice. And I'm thinking about this thing that I overheard. And then I'm putting them down to bed and I'm praying for them and I'm thinking about this thing. It's in the back of my mind. And when I went to bed, I closed my eyes, but I'm still wide awake and I'm thinking about this problem and I'm thinking about this thing and I wake up and it's still on my mind and it wasn't even involving me. Sometimes the fear comes not because of what you see, but because of what you overhear. You and I must be careful today, especially in our, the way that our economy works and the way that our communication, our world works and the way that uh, we interact with life and technology. Technology, this is why you must go to the Parent Two-Day event. You, you have to do it. It's, it's crucial. Because what we don't realize is that we are constantly picking up secondhand invitations to live captive to fear. Because the enemy, the enemy is, is not bent on you just getting fear but bent on you catching it because when you catch it, it starts to capture and enslave you. I don't have time. Okay, I want to talk about the Fowler snare in Psalm 91. And real quick, what, what they would, a Fowler would often do is raise a, a, a bird from birth, a baby bird, and raise it up to be like a pet. And then it would sew its eyes shut and it would break its legs in a cage. And what would happen is because it can't see, it would call out as loud as possible. All of its bird friends would come and they would land by there and he'd take a stick and break all of their legs in one swoop. 
Because the enemy is simultaneously interested in destroying your life, but he wants to pull as many people down with you as possible. So what he's gonna do is he's gonna use cynicism and fear and the words that you say so that he can take others down too. I mean, you ever overheard something and it just got into your spirit? That's the enemy working. He's trying. I think my mic went out and I don't have the voice today to be able to... um, I'll just grab, I don't know, I didn't touch anything. Okay. Yellow, red, whatever, there we go. Here's the truth, is that we have to be careful that we don't pick up the secondhand fear. Because when we do, we will then begin to give each other secondhand fears. And we'll begin to spread it. And we'll begin to send it. And we must be careful that because we understand that fear wants us to be captive to the kingdom of darkness, we accept Jesus' invitation to, be a light, to, to, to respond to the light in the darkness. This is Jesus' invitation. Is that as the enemy says the darkness is inevitable, and as he dictates the culture of the day, and, and friends, we gotta be wise. We have to heed the warnings. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit. We cannot be undiscerning in 2024. You can't afford it anymore. You can't. We need to be wise, but we have to be careful that in the darkness, we don't pay attention to the light. The light is still an invitation to follow it. And as we follow it, it is not a light in spite of the darkness, but right in it. And as we follow it, we begin to come into this place where we see the light. The light begins to illuminate the very thing we've been looking for. This is why the words to the song, all is calm, all is bright, takes on a new meaning. So I invite the band to come forward. All is calm, all is bright. What if all is not bright? What if all is like so vastly and overwhelmingly dark that it's almost impossible to imagine a scenario. I mean, you think about the days that Jesus entered into as a baby. And there's a lot going around in the public discourse right now about this. But what we know is it was not peachy. It was dark. And in fact, Jesus' entrance spurred on more of a darkness response from the enemy because of how afraid the enemy was and the establishment was of what Jesus came to disrupt. Matthew 4.13 talks about Jesus coming fulfilled what was said through the prophet Isaiah. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. This is the final point, an observation I have for you, is that light is an invitation to worship. And here's what we have to understand. If you are not careful, you will make the source of your search the result, the thing that you wish you could see, the the fix to your solution, 
And sometimes what we're, if we're not careful, we see the star, we see the light, the brightness, we see that and we say, that's what I need. No, 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 no. That is not what you need. What you need is what it will illuminate. Because as they followed the star, the star led them to the thing that they were looking for. It's always been Jesus. It's always been Jesus. He's always been the point of this thing. It's not your life. It's not a fix to your situation. It is not the thing that you're hoping gets answered. And as much as there is good in that, and you ought to ask God for it, the invitation is that you would find Jesus. He is the sum and the substance of everything that you've looked for. There's nothing else that you need. Light is an invitation to worship. The goal has always been to reach the object that the light illuminates. It's been Jesus the whole time. So we sing these words, come let us adore him. And I think maybe part of the solution as you see the vastness and the overwhelming nature of the darkness is counterintuitive because it's worship and adoration in spite of the darkness that is so vast and overwhelming around you. That you come to the manger, you come to the inn, you come to the room and you realize this is just a seed for what's to come. I mean, it wasn't baby Jesus that healed the sick. It was Jesus as an adult. So even then as they see it and they begin to worship him and they give him their gifts, they bring their gifts, the gold and the frankincense and myrrh, and they present these gifts to Jesus and they worship him and recognize him as the coming king, the Messiah. They realize it's still in process. Because sometimes even the promise fulfilled is the fulfillment of a promise as you step into it. And then it's like, I've got more I got to figure out. I mean, when Jesus or when the people of God were led to the promised land, they cross in and the giants multiplied. The obstacles became immensely more than anything that they had navigated before. But God was like, yo, I sustained you then. Just let it be a reminder that now that you see the promise fulfilled, there is more to be done. I'm going to continue to lead you forward. So would you stand with me today? Maybe there's a darkness in your life. Best thing that you can do is shine some light on it. Some of you, you need to confess. You need to be open about something that's going on in your world. Maybe it begins with a prayer partner today. We're gonna have our prayer partners up, up here in just a moment. As you come in, maybe you need to receive prayer. That is your next step. But for all of us, we're gonna adore God just for a moment. And it might be counterintuitive. God, I got so much going on in my life. I don't know what my job situation is gonna look like. There are so many things and they are mounting on top of each other. I don't know what to do but I'm gonna adore you because it is a reminder of the promise that you will be with me in every season. Would you lift your hand?